Thank you for listening to the second episode, prequel number two of the Boomex Show podcast, The Laws of Money. I'm Daryl Tuttle. I just wanted to take a second to point out that the episode that you are about to listen to is out of order. I recorded this particular episode several months before episode one, prequel number one, that hopefully you have listened to. The episode that you're about to listen to is a unguarded, unedited, very frank exposition of my feelings about my father, my son, my family, my outlook on life, really. Six hours after I had learned my father had passed away, you will quickly realize I was not close to my father at all. But what you will not be able to detect from the episode is that After recording the episode, I began a long process of reflection about my profession, about my place in the world, about my family, about what is important to me, and decided to close my law firm, a successful law practice of 25 years. Since 1996, I've only had one job, one email address, one phone number, and one website. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Just realize that back then, this episode was intended to be part of a podcast that was really much less mature and, in a sense, much less authentic. I hope you enjoy the episode. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Boomexers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money. And leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money. And those who learn and leverage the laws of money win. And sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the Boomex Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this bomb. Now, here's the BoomX Show. The Laws of Money. About six hours ago, got a text from my cousin. She works in a big law firm in uh, Portland, Oregon which is a background, there's context to uh, why I say that. And um, she said in the text, can I call you? And you know, whenever a busy person, especially in a big law firm, wants to call you on the phone in the middle of the workday, that's not a good sign. And I said, "Uh, when? Now? I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's never good. And I texted back and said, why? I didn't say it that way. I texted, why? In my mind, I was like, why? Why? She said, it'll only take a minute. The long silence you just heard was a reenactment of the contemplation of it will only take a minute. So I uh, said, sure, and... She's crying. I said, hey, what's up? And she's crying. And I'm like, 
Oh. And the funny thing is, I, I, I guess I was thinking maybe my grandmother died, uh, who's 98 years old and is the toughest prairie woman that's ever lived. That woman has been in and out of hospice. And when she comes out, she's practically cooking fritters and wringing chickens with her bare hands, the neck. She used to, my grandmother, prairie woman, grew up in the Depression on a ranch. She used to just prepare a, a chicken by just wringing off its head. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that, that woman, uh, please tell me she didn't die because I just don't believe it. Well, I was wrong. It wasn't her. It was my, fa my father. And before um, long, she's crying more. And I asked a, her this question with the following emotion. Why are you crying? Now, that's a question with a certain tone of almost contempt. And it wasn't because of men's basic disdain for expressions of weakness in a time like that. I was curious. She, she hardly knew my father. Every encounter that she had ever had with him had once again proven emphatically what a jerk he was. And so why are you crying about an almost stranger to you who, who was a, nothing but a pill? And of course she said, I don't know, I just am. <laughs> Now, I have debated throughout my career, should I be authentic or should I have a demeanor that is appropriate for a professional setting as society dictates, should I conform to that? Now, throughout my career, I, you know, when I was younger, I wore suits and ties and Try to impress everybody and think and act a certain way. And as I've aged, I have just really embraced the Instagram posts that quote inspirational things from famous people about authenticity. Just be yourself. Okay, well, the real Daryl is pretty direct, pretty blunt, and speaks his mind. And so I thought I would just express how I'm reacting to the death of my father. It's not a topic that you hear on a podcast <laughs> very often. I, I can see that. But um, I'm an elder law attorney. Elder law attorneys, I'm here to tell you, we're in the business of helping people die financially sometimes. And business is good. I... I I say that expression all the time when I'm being kind of cute and candid and among my friends. And I know a lot about hospice. I know a lot about the final phases of a person's life in my capacity as an attorney. And, you know, I so say you get a, a certain familiarity with the process. And business is good. I mean, we have a lot of people aging at the same time. My father was a, a baby boomer, and he died younger than he should have. He died in age 74 years old. 
And so, you know, um, his, his death was not unexpected, but it was a surprise. Um, my father had a personality trait in which he liked to stick his finger, metaphorically, in everybody's eye. He had an opinion about everything, and he wasn't afraid to tell you about it. And he was incapable of changing his mind. I mean, I, I've never heard him consider a fact presented to him that contradicted his belief, that made any impact in his thinking. By the way, we call this confirmation bias. It's a cognitive um, bias, and it, it um, just means that you will tend to disregard facts that do not confirm your beliefs. And so you're just always stubbornly looking only for cherry-picking the things that support your position. And so, you know, he went through life, and he, he just agitated a lot of people. Now, as an elder law attorney, I have been in conference meetings with families going through the process of their parent dying and have, have wept. I happen to be a, an emotional person. Um, I'm of Irish-American descent, but you, you would think I'm Italian-American who are very emotive <laughs> and expressive, and Irish have a reputation not, not so much, but I just, I just am. I mean, I cannot watch that movie Shakespeare in Love without crying every single time. I took an army buddy of mine to see that movie. We were on a, a mission in Charlottesville, and that's where the um, United States Army JAG school is. And JAG is the Judge Advocate General's Corps for Lawyers. And so we have it. It's at Cush, man. I mean, when we have a mission to the JAG school, it's at Charlottesville. So we're out one night and bored. You know, what are we going to do? Go to a movie. The only one that was worth watching was Shakespeare in Love. Well, I love that movie. I've seen it before. And my buddy, West Point graduate, had not. And, of course, I knew how this was going to end. So I'm sitting over there in the movie trying my best not to display any emotion. Uh, and of course it's a failure. And so I'm trying not to betray the fact that I'm over there whimpering like a child. <laughs> and then uh, I must have succeeded because he apparently didn't know that I was a sentimental cuss, you know. And so yeah, I rock it out. He's like, man, that was a waste of four hours and 50 cents. <laughs> and I, and uh, his reaction was what you would expect from a dude. My father died today. And um, my reaction was to a, a person who was crying and upset about the news. I, I what, what are you crying about? And I thought at the time and after, and, and for the last six hours, I've thought, I feel no emotion about this. And it's odd because I'm a sensitive person. I cry in movies. And, and an elder law attorney, I get attached to clients who come into my office four or five times. And I freak out when they suffer, <laughs> but not with my father. And so I have met people in the long-term care industry who believe that as a matter of morality, it is important to always, no, no matter what your parents have done to you, 
blood is thicker than water sort of thing. And when push comes to shove, you got, you got to step up and be there and supportive and all that. I didn't do that. I, I made a different decision. Um, and I have been told that everyone understood the reasoning for my decision, and I'll, I'll tell you the reasoning here in a minute, but that I would have deep regret, that after my father was gone, I wish I would have spent more time with him or, you know, had conversation, you know, been there in his final days. Well, we'll see. Um, maybe I'll have a an anniversary episode uh, on this day, and I will think differently about it. However, right now, um, I have been mostly thinking about, I got to get this podcast out. I made a commitment to 90 podcasts in 90 days. And I started recording this thing at midnight. So I missed, I missed it. Um, I hope that you forgive me because my father died. I mean, I'll play that card because even if you don't care, it is disruptive. I think how, how, how horrible. I mean, I, man, I hope to God I never, I don't live my life in such a way that nobody attends my funeral, that my own son, only son, does not shed a tear. And when you're a parent and have children, you naturally turn your thoughts to your son. My son's name is Benjamin. And am I a good father? Now, when my father was born, must have been born in the, you know, after World War II, baby boomer, he was the son, the oldest son of four kids. And his parents, one had, during, apparently had always been, had mental health problems. Most likely some sort of personality disorder, bipolar thing. And she could be mean as a snake. His father was an alcoholic. That's a bad combination, by the way. And uh, this is, you know, he, was, he graduated from high school in 1960, 60, 1960. So, you know, he, his teenage years was back in the 50s, man. The Fonz, hey, happy days. And uh, he was poor. They were poor. Very poor. And the, the family legend, which I've heard from every one of the kids, my dad and his siblings, their father used to drive downtown and leave the kids in the car all day while he drank alcohol in the local dive saloon. Well, there's worse things that can happen to you, but that's not, you know, I mean, he had no positive male model in his life. Now, you know, I am a believer. Apparently, I am, have been wrong about this. I'm changing my opinion. That, you know, your childhood shouldn't affect you in your adult years. It's not true. Um, I have a similar personality trait with my father in that I am not 
shy about sharing my opinion. And I can sometimes do so in a way that risks losing a relationship. <laughs> However, um, I, I thankfully inherited a personality trait from my mom, I, I guess, in which I value the truth, I value sound reasoning, and there's no greater offense than being stubborn when you're wrong or illogical. And so, you know, thank, thank goodness I have a personality trait of putting, putting my finger in somebody's eye a lot more, with a lot more um, respect and etiquette. I have definitely agitated people with my advocacy for my position, but I also have embraced being the opposite of my father, and that is saying, hey, wow, I was wrong. I, I thought the sky was red, but apparently I'm colorblind. Which, a fact that was, you know, had to be reminded of this every once in a while. I went to a movie the other day, and they were showing those little snippets at the beginning that shows the producers and the sub, all the little companies that work on the film. And one of the snippets in the beginning of the film, I don't even know what you call those things, was a colorblind test. And so there's all these red and green dots. And I leaned over to my wife and I go, Is, was there a word on that? <laughs> she just laughed. Because I inherited from my father a colorblind gene and one from my mom, so I am colorblind, red, green colorblind. And um, as I've learned a lot about marketing, I can tell you that using a colorblind test pattern to promote your company automatically excludes 10% of the population because <laughs> they can't read it. And so if we are debating about whether the sky is blue or red and I'm colorblind, if it can be proven I'm colorblind and the sky really is blue, man, it is more offensive to me to, to be proven wrong and keep my position than to say, ooh, wow, I was wrong. I kind of made a jerk of myself when I said that we should um, outlaw all people who believe in a blue sky. But not my father. My father would go to his grave, and in this case, literally, having alienated everybody in his life because he had to be right. Now, as I'm saying all these things, I realize, Daryl, you're being a jerk. You are sharing publicly the truth about your family. You are sharing publicly your emotion about him as a person and his actions. There's no need for that. This show, The Boom X Show, is about estate planning and retirement planning and long-term care planning. Get back on point. Nobody wants to hear this. Do they? I mean, this show is about estate planning. Do you know how many meetings I've been in in my career, looking across the table at a family, husband and wife, and at the end of everyone's life, as near as I can tell, the only people that you have in your life are your kids. That sounded very bleak, it sounded very dark, but 
it's the truth. I know this because if people do not have children, almost every single time, there is a long agonizing silence and, and this process of I, the attorney, saying, look, who, who are we going to leave the money to? And silence or resistance. And then I explained the golden age of estate planning. Oh, by the way, dudes, you can't take it with you. Didn't you know that? I mean, the ancient Egyptians tried to take it with them. Turns out they were wrong because we found all their stuff. <laughs> and so who are you going to leave it to? And how many client meetings have I had in my life, man? I was looking through the files yesterday of all the work I've done, and I'm like, oh, wonder I'm grumpy. <laughs> There's a lot of cases here. There's a lot of meetings. I have asked that question. Who do you want to leave the money to? I bet a thousand times. So I've noticed a pattern. People who, I think I said single people, but I meant people who do not have um, children. Very few of them will end their life with close friendships. And even if they do, their friends are their age. Why would you leave your estate of a million dollars to a dude who's 84 and you're 83? <laughs> Just, you know. And so this, this thing comes up. And so, you know, naturally, I have learned I can choose to give advice and counsel to my clients only about the law and sit there. Or I can give advice and counsel as a human being and a lawyer. Now, I know that those two seem incongruous, a human and a lawyer, <laughs> but the law does not need to be sterile. And there, let's just face it, man, life is messy. Death is messy. Love, relationships can be complicated. My, my father grew up in a dysfunctional family. His personality trait was um, one in which he did not value harmonious relationships. And he had never been taught better. And so... When I was three, um, he b abandoned the family. And on top of it, I never paid child support. We call that a deadbeat dad. My mother was, still is actually to this day, she is semi-literate. And she, I don't know, she's just horribly timid. She, she was just born unconfident, and she was born shy. She was indeed. And so she's married to this actually reasonably charismatic. You know, there's this word I want to say, but I can't. I guess I can. It's my podcast. Why can't I say it? Okay, I'm going to say it for, for emphatic effect. There's nothing worse than a charismatic asshole, <laughs> you know? My dad was an asshole. And you know what that word means. It means a person who is egocentric and does not care about other people. And egocentric, non-caring people tend to behave in such a way that is hurtful to other people. And, and my mom was timid and unconfident. So that's a bad combination. And so consequently, um, I was raised by a single parent in a little crappy town in eastern Washington. 
And by the way, when I say a little crappy town, I mean a little crappy town. I, I opened an office in Tri-Cities, Washington. So I have three offices now across the state. And don't worry, I'm coming to you. I'll, I'll, there'll be a, an office of mine near your home pretty soon. I don't care where you live. However, I had to drive past my hometown. And man, that, that, when I graduated from high school, man, I was out of there. But I swung by. It's practically a ghost town now. It, it, that's, that town has died, thank goodness. And it was a horrible place to be raised. And you know, my father made it harder. Um, my mom was a seasonal, part-time, underemployed person. So I was raised substantially below the poverty line. And with no male, male figure. I mean, my dad didn't have a male mentor figure in his life. And um, neither did I. Because, of, you know, it's just like a pattern of generation after generation of bad fathers. And so I fault him for that. Um, I, actually, I, I, I don't. Let, let me fast forward to the real problem. I think everything would have been fine, except that, I mean, he chose to opt out of the family, and, you know, actually, he kind of reconnected with me, and, and at that point, he was my biological father that I'd forgive, actually. I mean, I didn't even know any better. I was raised poor. I didn't know I could have been raised less poor, <laughs> you know. Um, at, when I became older, and then had kids of my own and felt so much love for my kids, I just couldn't understand it. Like, like I have, I mean, come on, think about it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share this. I have to support my family. Everything that I do or don't do affects the financial well-being of my wife and my kids. And I'm working myself to death. That was a wrong expression to use. <laughs> I'm impacting my health like all lawyers do, trying to make it work. And so I, when I became older and loved my kids, just didn't understand how a man could, did he not have a human heart like me? He didn't feel the awe of holding a newborn son? And that agitation of him not, going to sleep <laughs> and then the horror and shock when you drop the kid for the first time and don't don't start with me I know darn well you've done it too there's not a parent alive that hasn't dropped their kid one time or another and just all the crazy things kids do I love my kids I'm a good father I worry that I'm not a good father because I didn't you know and they go you're a wonderful dad a wonderful dad they just thought I was the bee's knees. Still am, you know. And so I don't know why he made those decisions. But it, it to me, when I was in my 20s and midway through my 30s, I, whatever. We are all in, we are human beings. We're fallible. Here's the problem, though. My mom remarried, but her husband passed away and she was alone. And she's semi-literate. And she's older now and she's timid and all these things so my dad saw an opportunity and I'll be gosh darn if those two didn't remarry each other again 
So now think about it. My dad will answer the phone when I call my mom. <laughs> well, that created a real problem. <clears throat> it ultimately ruined my relationship with my mom, which had been close. And the reason is because my dad is um, a charismatic asshole and my mom is timid. And so she shrank back into the corner of her life. And I, you know, I never had an opportunity. Like you would call and he'd answer the phone. And he was always running interference. And, you know, around that time, he started to express a desire to have a closer relationship to me as father and as son. And I was, okay, this will be interesting. I guess I'm open to it. But he couldn't help himself. And so the relationship got, became more and more stressful and more and more, I hate using pop psychology terms, you know, but I'm going to because it will immediately trigger something in you. It just became a toxic relationship. And as I became more frustrated and impatient and appalled by my father's moral compass, my mom would defend him. And, and so consequently, I reached a point about 18 months ago, I just made the decision to stop talking to my parents. And it was not a decision that was not, I, I, I can, I had overanalyzed my relationship with my father for years. And I have, since I've made that decision, I have been at peace with it. Now, apparently I will regret it one day. However, right now, I made a decision based on a long history and my life became much more pleasant and less stressful and, and less anxiety producing because of my decision. And I was surprised that my decision not to communicate with my mom was as easy and I feel the same way about it. And so, you know, you realize as they age, they will become more and more dependent upon other people, like everyone. And then, you know, you kind of wonder, how's that going to play out? So here's the way it played out. My father has always been a glutton. He, as he uh, retired, he began to eat even more, and he just became obese. And he also ignored any kind of suggestion that he should eat well or watch his diet or exercise and all that stuff. Why? Because he's a charismatic asshole, and they do not listen to people. And so, co consequently, he developed diabetes and congestive heart failure and all these conditions that exist in humans who are defiant to their doctors. But sadly, it was not a, um, a quick death. He ended up in um, a nursing home because of diabetes related to his diet. And that, that was the beginning of the end and not in the way you think. My mom, being timid, n never knew how to drive a car. I mean, she got her license and 
when we lived in a small town in the 1970s, she could get kind of sort of from point A to point B. But it was always with great stress. And about one out of every 15 trips, there would be every trip, there was some anxiety-producing event. And one out of 15 trips in a small town, there would be almost an accident. Well, think about it. Now, the alpha male provider is in a nursing home. And this woman, who can't drive, is being asked to go visit her husband in another small town in Idaho. Well, of course, she jumps in the car and drives down there, and she made it. <clears throat> now, here's, I don't know if it's a turning point, but um, my father asked my mother, hey, why don't you go get us some cheeseburgers? <laughs> I want to repeat that. Why don't you go get us some cheeseburgers? Like, if you could insert into a podcast, I mean, I guess I could slap my own head and you could hear the sound, but you know that emoji of the little guy and he's slapping his head like, ugh, do it. And so, of course, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's reasonable because it was consistent with his lifestyle and his way of thinking about things. However, um, it was dark. It was kind of a rainy day. My mom doesn't know how to drive. She'd been asked to go out into the rain to get cheeseburgers. And, of course, she drove down a one-way road the wrong way somehow and hit a semi. And they had to cut her out of the car. And then she ended up in the same nursing home. She was released from the nursing home. And um, she was sent home. And my mom has always been physically frail and so you know she has not had the kind of she got to the point where she just depended on my dad for everything and should I share this story with you or not as an elder law attorney I can tell you that fact pattern is a result of being stubborn. That fact pattern is lethal. I can recall a client uh, situation. I have permission to tell the story, by the way. Mom, a woman in her early 80s, was married to a man who developed dementia. And she just had to ignore children's warnings about a lot of things. I'm, this is my husband. I love him. I've loved him for 57 years, and I will provide his care until I die. Okay, great. I want you to do that. <laughs> and so, you know how this story ends. Um, she's, she's a prairie woman, and she is going out there to do her very best every day to run the household, and to also care for her demented husband. Unfortunately, uh, she's out in the garden one day, she falls off a ladder, and she breaks her neck. Now, see what went wrong there? The person that was responsible for everything failed. She's in the hospital. Well, you know, demented husband burnt the house down the next day, and was burned on 60% of his body and passed away two weeks later. 
is just horrible. And man, what kind of podcast is this? I mean, like, you, you could watch, listen to the JLD Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast, but instead, <laughs> you get to come here and listen to me talk about the death of my father. But in the context of, from the perspective of an asset protection attorney who, candidly, I get tired of people. I understand it. I guess it, I, I'm a, chore, a ch poor choice of words, but it is unnecessary. And cognitive bias is a polite way of saying people who just refuse to accept reality. I mean, come on. And so my father had to have a cheeseburger. My mom ended up in the same nursing home as my father. My mom cannot take care of herself, never has been able to. My father is in a nursing home. Today he died. Six hours ago, six and a half hours ago. And of course, he ended up alone, with, except for my mom, but no one else. He, he was big into politics. Well, not politics, but he was one of these people that had to express his opinion on Donald Trump. He supported Trump. And you know immediately what that means. And he had to send emails that were offensive and mean and stubborn and pick a fight with everybody. And just one by one by one over the years, his email list went from some people to absolutely no, no people, his own son included. I don't know if I'll be ashamed of the fact that my father's email address is on my spam filter because at some point, I can't take it anymore. But I did. And so he made decisions about the way he behaved in, in his life. And at the end, I, I just feel like he paid a heavy price. I could have let him off the hook, I guess. But... I thought, I'm going to dedicate my time and energy being compassionate as best I can, helping other people, and being a good father to my children. And in a sense, he victimized his wife and, well, for sure, his, my mom. He victimized us. Maybe not intentionally, but he did. What are eulogy? I hope they don't invite me to the memorial, which there won't be one. My, my thoughts turn to my son. I do not want, I, 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 this will not happen, but the day that I pass away, there will be people at my funeral, and um, it, it will have an impact on my children. I hope it's 40 years from now, and they are so sick of me <laughs> that they're upset and they cry, but it's the normal sort of goodbye. Sort of goodbye where you say, God, I'm going to miss him, miss you, Dad. However, you were suffering at the end, and it was time for you to move along. At the beginning of this podcast, I played a song by Elton John, My Father's Gun. Today I own my father's gun. I laid his broken body down. Ironically, I went to a movie about Elton John. Um, 
Monday, a few days, a few days ago. And I had to leave the movie theater only about 10 or 15 minutes into the movie. Turns out, unbeknownst to me, that Elton John had was an intense dude, and he had was in a very emotionally neglectful environment. His, his childhood was, he was an only child just like me. So there were so many similarities between my situation and his that if I just, it triggered something in me. And I say that just to give you an idea of the way in which childhood trauma, there were some other events in my life that were traumatic, but Emotionally, emotional neglect is not something that you just get over as an adult. I did not know that. I honestly did not know that. Because when you have thoughts in your brain, you just assume everybody has those thoughts. And everybody had, because we all had similar experiences. I mean, I know you were raised in the upper middle class in New York. But still, you were neglected by your parents. And, and you don't even know you're neglected. I didn't. Like, when they describe my friends, I mean, you know, I'm a, I went to law school and met, I've met a lot of people and talked to a lot of people. And, and then when they say about their childhood and you don't understand what they're talking about, it can have an impact. And I shared that with that, those experiences I shared with my father. He, he suffered from emotional neglect. He did not recover from it. I suffered from emotional neglect, and by gosh, God is my witness. I will overcome. And that's going to be the episode today. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that I have made a decision today to just lay it out there. And the if I had to make a teaching point, because it is a educational podcast, I would tie it in to my requirement is tip number eight. Remember these tips I'm doing every day? Tip number eight comes next. And I'll leave you with tip number eight for this podcast. And it's simply this. Man, love, love, love your kids. I don't know how else to say it. At the end, they will be the only ones there for you. Probably. That's not true for everybody. I'm, these are just generalizations, but they will be there for you. Everybody else is optional. <laughs> and even in your friendships that you have with other people, realize that they are indeed important. And you might have to change your behavior and your thinking to save it. You know, sometimes things happen and you have to forgive. And I promise that tomorrow, which is actually today, we will be back on stride with the normal upbeat BoomX show music. <laughs> and on to tip number nine. I'll see you then in six hours.